Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. But in honor of Black Mirror's new season, which just premiered on Netflix on October 21st, uh, I'm covering each episode of Charlie Brooker's technophobic sci-fi anthology series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at anthologypod.com. And if, and if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. You can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, or you can send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or the donate link in the show notes of this episode. Any donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and is extremely appreciated. Now, as I said before, this is a bonus episode uh, reviewing Black Mirror. Um, I've published four other bonus episodes. I'm going episode by episode. And today in this episode, I will be discussing White Bear. It's the second episode of Black Mirror's second series, and it originally aired on February 18th, 2013 in on uh, Channel 4 in the UK. And of course, I'm going to be spoiling... Um, the entire episode in my review and in the uh, episode going forward. So if you haven't seen White Bear yet, I urge you to go check it out. It's available on um, um, Netflix. Um, you can watch it and then come back and check out my review. Um, yeah, so to get us kicked off, I'm going to go ahead and read a detailed plot summary, courtesy of Wikipedia. Um, and again, this is going to be spoiler heavy, so if you haven't seen it, Please uh, tune out uh, if you don't want to be spoiled. In a bedroom, a woman named Victoria Scalane wakes up in a chair to find that she can't recall anything about her life. Apparently the result of a failed suicide attempt, Victoria is, a, is surrounded by images of a small girl whom she assumes to be her daughter, as well as photos of her and an unknown man. Victoria sees an unusual symbol on the TV screens in the house in a calendar on the month of October, with all the dates being crossed off up until the 18th. Leaving the house, Victoria sees people constantly recording her on their phones. When asking for help and shouting at the people to stop recording her, a man wearing a baklava with the symbol on it pulls up in a car, takes out a shotgun, and fires at Victoria. After being chased by the, max, the masked man, she meets Jem and Damien, two people getting supplies. The masked man kills Damien, who attempted to save Victoria and Jem, forcing them to go on the run. Jem explains a mysterious signal over television and the internet turned most of the population into dumb voyeurs who do nothing but record everything around them. Victoria and Jem are unaffected but there are but are also the target a target for the hunters, unaffected humans who, with society's collapse, can act wantonly, uh, violent and sadistic. Jem plans to reach a nearby transmitter at White Bear to destroy it and stop the signal's effect on the area. As they travel, a man named Baxter picks up Victoria and Jem. Baxter is un also unaffected, but drives them to a force and holds them at gunpoint, revealing that he has that he was the masked man from earlier. 
Although Jem escapes, Victoria is tied to a tree and about to be tortured until Jem returns and turns and kills Baxter. They continue traveling to the transmitter, while Victoria has visions of past and future events. When they reach the White Bear transmitter to destroy it, two hunters attack Victoria and Jem. Victoria wrestles a shotgun away from a hunter and fires at her attacker, only for it to spray confetti. The walls open to reveal an audience applauding after observing the escapade. Jem, Damien, and the hunters are revealed to have been actors as part of a charade, a kind of real-world play. Victoria is strapped into a chair while Baxter appears and explains everything. The girl Victoria assumed to be her daughter was actually a six-year-old schoolgirl whom Victoria and her fiancé, the man from the photographs, abducted a few miles from her home. After taking her to a nearby forest, Ian tortured and killed the girl while Victoria recorded his actions on her mobile phone. The white bear, originally the victim's teddy, was a symbol of the nationwide search and murder investigation, while the symbol of the screens and on the hunter's mask was identical to the tattoo that identified Victoria's fiancé, who committed suicide in his cell before the trial. Having tearfully pleaded guilty and insisting that she was under her fiancé's spell, Victoria was given a sentence the judge described as proportionate and considered. To undergo an experience where she would feel the victim's feelings of terror and helplessness repeated every day. Victoria, who still has no clear memory of these events, is driven back to the compound past a crowd baying for her blood under encouragement from the staff and returned to the room where she woke up. She is placed back in the bedroom chair by Baxter. As she is shown footage of the girl, Baxter places electrodes on her head, wiping Victoria's memory of the day's events as she screams in agony. As Baxter leaves the compound to the sound of Victoria's screams, he takes out a black pen and crosses off October 18th from the calendar, getting ready for Victoria to relive, relive the same events the next day. Over the end credits, we see the staff, including Baxter, Jem, and Damien, of the White Bear Justice Park, prepare for the next performance. They brief the park visitors who are there to participate in the show. In Victoria's experience, they are the strangely unresponsive members of the, po- of the public surrounding her wherever she goes, and advise them not to speak and to keep their distance while observing Victoria's actions, but they are welcome to use their phones to capture their experiences. The episode ends as it began, with Victoria waking up in the bedroom chair with no memory. Whew. I swear, these Black, Mar- Black Mirror um, disc- plot summaries are so long. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so so anyway, so before I get to my review of this episode of Black Mirror, I'm going to go ahead and give a quick talent rundown of the actors and cast and crew uh, from this episode. So in the role of Victoria Scalene is Lenora Critchlow. This is her only episode of, the, of Black Mirror. Um, she's known for a British series called Suspects, which I believe is like an unscripted detective show. Um, yeah, and then and then uh, playing Baxter is Michael Smiley. Uh, this is his only episode of Black Mirror. He was recently in as a few years ago in the movie The World's End by Edgar Wright. And uh, rounding out the cast as Jim is Tuppence Middleton, her only episode of Black Mirror, and she's in a bunch of stuff. She was in The Imitation Game, Sensei, Jupiter Ascending, um, and a bunch of other things. Writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker, um, and I'm going to take this time to mention this article that was linked to me by listener Mike that talks about the background on this episode a little bit. I'm going to quote from it. Um, According to show creator Charlie Brooker, that twist came very late in the process of making the episode, meaning the twist in in White Bear where she's um, the White Bear Justice Park twist. 
Originally, it was just a more typical apocalyptic story of survival. Brooker told Variety that he was inspired by seeing a former U.S. Air Force base as a location to change the whole thing. Quote, I saw the housing, a gas station, and I saw this fence running around outside the place. I was like, that's interesting. There's a fence, a fence, a fence. And the twist suddenly occurred to me. I ran off and wrote it in a couple days in a bit of a fever dream. End quote. Uh, that's how late the change came. The script was done, and they were looking for a place to film. The original ending, uh, Brooker says, the original ending w- had a public crucifixion. Which, that's really interesting, and thanks, Mike, for sharing that link. Because um, it's it's really fascinating to me, because I don't know how much I would have liked it if it was just a straight um, apocalyptic story like that, um, which I'll get to that when I get to my review, but that's really fascinating because it seems like when you watch the finished product, the the episode seems like it's a, um, like that's all that, like that's what it's been building toward. Like it's, it's amazing that it came that late in the process. It seems like it would be conceived, um, to be that, that story. So thanks again, Mike, for sending in that link. Uh, director for this episode is Carl Tibbetts. Um, he will go on to direct the Christmas special, White Christmas, here that I'll review in a couple couple weeks. And he also directed a 2011 movie called Retreat that I... It's been on my radar, but I haven't seen it. Um, but it sounds like a cool movie. So now I'm going to go ahead and go into my thoughts on this episode of Black Mirror. Um, initially, when I... Because like all the other episodes, I watched these uh, once a couple years ago, or about a year and a half ago. And my initial thoughts before coming back to this episode with this is that I remember not being quite as gobsmacked by the ending as I would have liked to have been that first time I saw it. Um, and my memory of like the message of the episode was that it was a skewering of our justice boner culture <laughs> where um, people are convicted by the public before they're even tried and um, my understanding of the plot or my memory of the plot was that I thought that she, I've, I'd forgotten that she was complicit in a murder or she was complicit in, in the criminal act. I, th- my memory was that she was spectating, uh, something and didn't come forward or, or something like that. I don't know why that, why that was in my mind, but that's what I had in mind going into this episode this time. Um, and as for this viewing, man, I freaking loved this episode so much. It's, it's incredible. Um, just right from the start, the episode is so disorienting and it just, it demands your attention. And when you give, when you give it your attention, it like, it commands it. Like it is so captivating and it's just it just reels you in like you are so disoriented by what's going on you have no idea what's going on and that's one of the things that i love about this episode and black mirror itself is that it doesn't hold your hand that much when it comes to um giving you your or giving you the background on the on the world that it's building each episode and one thing that i really reflected on when watching this episode this time was that the show has come a long way since the um since the national anthem with with the pig episode um as far as it com- as far as uh 
plotting is concerned because that episode just starts out with like they spell out the plot to you this is grounded in reality um this is our a contemporary tale that's like a modern like our world and it, this is this is what needs to be done and this is how it's going to go f- uh be done going forward um most of the other episodes are all just diving into this world uh to to a different world than our own a different reality and slowly bringing us into it by letting us live in it in a for a handful of scenes before we really get the idea of of what the world is like and white bear has that in spades it's it's really that's that's what this episode is all about it's we're slowly getting to know this world and then that makes the twist at the end where it completely shatters that world for us um so impactful and uh intense and while while uh the main character is going through this ordeal and and feeling feeling out this this world that she wakes up in everything is so creepy and ominous um I, I love this feeling of desolation that, that she's experiencing and that we're experiencing on her behalf um, as she's going through the house. It's so eerie because she's completely alone. This is before she goes outside. This is before she sees the spectators. But she's so alone. But the environment around her, that house, is so ordinary and undisturbed that it just makes your skin crawl a little bit. And when we see that symbol on the screen that just amplifies the creepiness and, and uh, how ominous this world is. And we know a lot about how messed up this world is and it's about to be. In implementing a, a storytelling device where she has memories, she has like vague memories that, that jump in um, to, to give her memories of, of her time with the child. It's so, <laughs> that's so compelling and and eerie too because you can by doing that you really get a sense of like her uh strained mental states like her she's she's so confused and she's like you get a sense of like how messed up her her mind is at this point um and when watching it again knowing the full story like you can just feel how fractured her mental uh, st- mental, how mentally unhinged she is by this and without even really knowing it because her mind is wiped every day. Um, and that's something that I had forgotten about, uh, when revisiting this episode is the fact that she has those flashes in her mind and memories like muscle memories and stuff. Um, I just, I, f- I forgot about that and I was so, I was so into that this time around. It was really interesting. Um, so again, this episode is like, is it's super creepy and it becomes even more creepy. Like the tension builds so well when she walks outside and she sees the people with the phones and it's, it's not like she's surrounded by people and she's, she's walking along or anything. She's, we're slowly getting a sense of these, of the spectators that are, that are watching her and we are introduced to them in such a, such an effectively creepy manner because she doesn't see them outside yet. She sees them in windows of each of the, of each of the buildings around her. So you get this really creepy, almost horror movie quality to it that you see these just 
these really um, still figures in windows with phones up to their faces. And it just makes it so eerie. And at this point, while going through it, I just kept thinking this would have made just a a phenomenal short film. Like just this, uh, this part of it would have made just a great creepy short film. And it made me wonder if, because I couldn't remember much of the, uh, the plot going forward. It made me wonder if this episode could, could sustain itself for the full 42 minutes. And then we came to the gas station scene, which is really interesting to me. And it, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, because at that point, like, I mean, the tension is, is rising. We we're getting really, it's really intense, but that gas station scene just, it reminded me so much of 28 days later. And it basically is 28 days later. And that kind of uh, black mirror to me is such a unique show or such an, a kind of evocative show that for it to really lean into, um, a big element of 20 days later, which 20 days later is one of my favorite movies uh, for it to kind of borrow from that. Just kind of, it didn't take me out of the episode or anything, but it kind of made me a little, a little perturbed by it, I guess, which is funny because 20 days later, I mean, that movie borrows a lot from zombie films. <laughs> so it's not like that's like, it's not like 20 days later is the most, original movie ever, but I still love it. I love Danny Boyle. I always will. Um, but, but that scene, that sequence wasn't without its merit or without its importance to the plot or anything. Um, when, when Damien gets killed or when he's attacked, uh, when he's attacked in, in the gas station, um, she doesn't help him. And the episode, um, really puts, puts an emphasis on the fact that Victoria doesn't, doesn't help him. I mean, it's still kind of subtle. Um, there's a moment where she can, but she just chooses to leave. And that is so, that is so great for, for her character, um, to, to have character development in that sense. And we're learning about her character and that's something that's like, that's an instinctual thing. That's something that she could have, if she was a more sympathetic person, um, she, you know, she could have helped or anything, but the, the episode chose to show that she, she, she didn't help him so that that kind of made, um, that kind of lended a more full circle feel to the reveal at the end where we learn that she is not a very sympathetic person. And I'll get to that in a moment because that's just a very fascinating part of the story to me. And I, I really, I really enjoyed how each faction or each type of hunter in the episode, they each come with like their own different like styles. Like they have the guy at the mat, the, uh, the guy with the mask. And then we have those grungy, like Mad Max style rebel, um, um, people that seem kind of at home in the Borderlands video games, um, kind of this post-apocalyptic aesthetic to them. And I, I just loved that. And I, I, I just, I loved that. And, and I love that as they're getting away, as, as, um, as Jim and Victoria are getting away, there's no forced exposition. There's no, 
there's no like like the episode trusts us to be involved with with their journey or in enveloped in their um entranced by their journey because in other in other shows or in other stories they would have this forced exposition as they're running to kind of even to save time um i'm trying to think 20 days later doesn't really do that but i mean it could um yeah it kind of does actually (laughs) a little bit but i i love that in that in this this episode is 42 minutes long and they don't have this forced exposition exposition where they don't have gems explaining the situation to victoria as they're running there's a specific time after they've escaped where where the characters sit down and in sh- Victoria's told the story of of or at least the the story of what's going on, and I love that it takes that time because it's important to developing the story and developing this world and developing developing it in such a way that it makes the end reveal more impactful and powerful. Because if they just rush past this exposition then we don't feel as lived in in this world as as we um as we do in the final version or in this this version of the story i just love that there is time spent explaining what's going on and um, again this is one of the little i guess stumbling blocks for this episode for me is that like we've we've had that we've had the we've had the moment that feels straight out of 28 days later and then when um, when Victoria is learning about the background of what's going on, when Jem is explaining what's going on, the premise of there being a signal on every screen that's changing people and making them into to monsters that, I mean, that reminds me, that just re- reminds me of, uh, Stephen King's novel cell, uh, which actually just had a movie come out with John Cusack and I want to say Morgan Freeman, but I have I haven't seen it but I heard the movie is just terrible. Um so I'm not really in a rush to see that one. And and to be honest Cell is not one of my favorite uh, King novels. Um I should probably revisit it but I was not really that in, that into it, which is a shame because I'm a huge Stephen King fan. But anyway, when Jem is explaining this background or this the the world to Victoria, she says that I suppose they were always like that, just needed something to change. Meaning that they're, you know, people are killers and people are unaffected by, like, terrible things around them and are more um, interested in just re uh, recording it and everything. And that, that line stood out to me a lot, obviously, because it's kind of this really amazing line of dialogue that's explaining both our protagonist um, and also just kind of a thesis statement for what this episode is trying to convey. It seems it's just people can be monsters and without structure, without society, without, um, without rules to govern them, they, it can expose their more monstrous um, qualities. So I'm getting through the like I'm not even through like like I'm probably a third of the way through the story here. Um and that just shows that this is a really intense episode and once again Black Mirror sets up its universe and its rules really well. Um 
for this episode, like in past episodes, it's it just sets it up so well, and I'm really I really admire that about the series. Um, and the twist at the end is so so well hidden so far because maybe part of it is that we have had like five episodes um or i'm sorry four episodes of black mirror to kind of get a sense of what they're doing and black mirror doesn't really have that twilight zone-esque twist at the end for the most part um these are all tales of technology gone too far and how we they they're disturbing visions of a near future ruled by technology and 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 uh how it could affect us that's kind of the thesis statement of black mirror so to have an episode that has a a twist like that like what's what's in white bear is just really kind of jarring when when you're kind of in in black mirror um but i'm getting ahead of myself i'll get to the actual twist later <laughs> um so when they're when they are about to get into the van um one thing that stood out to me is that the flashes um and i and i hate to keep doing this but it they're just things that remind me of other things like the way that the flashes are represented on screen reminds me a lot of the flashes in uh the original uh, Cloverfield movie because Cloverfield uh kind of brilliantly to be honest had a uh, narrative structure that it's, it's a found footage movie, so the tape or the the file or whatever um, that it's being played from is is uh, it's a tape is um, is recorded over like like another day another another day of the main character's life. So we get flashes of like little interspersed throughout the throughout Cloverfield of this of this first day. And it's just, it's really, it's a really clever storytelling device. So the flashes in White Bear remind me of that, just mostly just because of the way that it's represented on screen, because they're kind of similar. They're kind of jarring. They're not like, they're not like flashbacks where, they're not flashbacks, really. They're just flashes that show us um, what's going on in the character's head. And I really like that she is, at this point, when when Baxter comes to and invites them in the van, um, Victoria's hesitant and you can kind of sense like if, when you re rewatch it, you get the sense that like she's developing this kind of muscle memory or, or this, this, um, type of type of memory, uh, through conditioning about what's going on. Cause she, she remembers that she, they go to the woods and that no one chases them. And this element of the story, bringing this into the story at this point is so confusing and she's confused and the viewers confused and it's so crazy it's just it's just really compelling and um intense it, it makes it intense and the sh showing the picture of the girl like when watching it on repeat viewings seeing her with that picture and seeing her kind of latch on to that as as this must be my daughter and feeling like like this it's kind of like she, she's keeping her sanity at the thought of, and maybe I'm reading a little too much into it, or maybe I'm putting more into it than what's there, but she seems to be putting more 
of an emphasis on the picture or um, she's keeping it together because she's going to find, she wants to find her, her daughter and watching it on repeat viewings after knowing the whole story, that is such a haunting element of this, of this episode because that's not her daughter. (laughs) It's a little girl that she filmed being murdered and she was complicit in the abduction of and, and was able to like, she just watched her get murdered. It's just so, so haunting. It's, it's so amazing. And it really both for the viewer for both for us as viewers and for the character herself, like it's, it makes that twist at the end so much more powerful and so much more twisted. Um, it's just, it's remarkable. I, I loved it. And once they get into the woods, there is so much more that's brought out in this, in this world. Like this, this episode keeps, um, creating a, uh, a universe or, or, or rules to their, to what's going on. Like we initially see, Oh, there's a bunch of people filming her. That's weird. Now there's people chasing her. That's crazy. Oh, there are murderers. <laughs> there are different types of, of murderers that are after her. And then now we get into the woods where it's like, there's this really creepy, um, set dressing where it's, it's like there's a noose and there are crucified bodies on the trees. And just like adding that element to it is just so chilling. And the fact that it's in broad daylight and still manages to be so unsettling is such a testament to the story. If you're, if you're engaged with it, it's, it's rewarding to you. Um, it's, it's really intense. And so when Baxter is about to torture Victoria or pretending to about to torture Victoria and she starts screaming. She's screaming for help. Like she's at the end of her rope. She's screaming at the people that are just spectating saying, help me, help me. I'm a human being like that is just, Oh, that is so terrific. That's, that's incredible because that's in essence her punishment. Um, her punishment that that's revealed at the end is that like her saying that is just like, she's feeling like that, like that piece of dialogue, her pleading with them to help her. That's just encompasses what her punishment is. And that's just like, like having her say that just really hammers home at the end, like how much of a really twisted punishment this is and how, how just remarkable it is. (laughs) Um, um, and how creepy it is. And so once we get to the actual ending, um, well, okay, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. So, so when they escape from the woods and, and Jem and Victoria are going to white bear, that's where it started to kind of lose me a, a, a little bit, just, um, not really lose me. It, it felt like by having this whole thing where, um, they need to go to this place to, to change the transmission so that it, so that it can save everyone and blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, that felt, that felt like it was just an unearned thing, which I mean, I guess in the context of the entire episode, it doesn't really matter because it's not true, but it just felt like in the moment before we were, we learn the truth of what's going on. It just felt like, 
it just felt so out of not I guess sort of out of nowhere kind of like kind of like okay well now they need to get to this place to do this and it just felt like there wasn't enough built up toward that and not that there needed to be since that's not what the ending ended up being that's not you know that's not what the story ended up being about it just felt like at that point I was just like okay this I'm not really invested in this so much as figuring out what's really going on um, well, maybe that's not fair because I don't know if the first time I saw it, I don't know if I really, uh, I didn't expect it to be such a, such a mind trip. Um, once they reveal the ending, but this time watching it when I knew what was coming or I knew that the, something big was coming at the end, I just felt like I just, it felt like the story was going through the motions by putting them into this generator place to, to get the signal and all that. Um, I was just kind of like strapped in and waiting for the ending to come and maybe it's not fair cause I don't really remember that much about my very first viewing of it, but I just, it's just felt like it wasn't explained properly, um, or, or set up properly enough. Um, yeah, but once they get in and it's, and once the ending is revealed and, uh, she's carted out into, into the, uh, onto the stage with the audience cheering her on and everything. That's just, it's such a, it's the most like WTF ending of the series so far. I think, um, it just comes so out of left field and it works so well. And what I love about it is that when, when Baxter comes out and is explaining everything to her, what, what is amazing to me is that this episode makes us sympathize with someone who turns out to be a complete monster. And it's just, it's really amazing to me that it's the reverse of a redemption story, a, re, um, a redemption story for her. Cause she doesn't know, doesn't have a clue about who she is. We're kind of conditioned in this type of story to expect, okay, well we're along with the ride. We're along with the protagonist. So obviously we want her to, to win. We want her to, to save everything. She, we want her to be, you know, we're rooting for her. We're, we're her in many cases, but then to have that flipped on its ear and have it be revealed that she was this terrible person who facilitated the death of a child. And, um, even though she said that she was under a spell from, from her fiance, it's still, she was complicit in, in the murder of a child. And like, that's the worst thing. Um, you can, worst like character trait that you can give a character and it's just it's so amazing it's so amazing to me how how effective um this episode is all all together i think that it's really remarkable and it, it makes me wonder if at the end before before she's before the ending is revealed when she has the gun and she shoots the hunter and just the, can, the confetti comes out it makes me wonder if like is that is that a moment where she is somewhat rehabilitated. Is that, that's kind of her hero moment. She, she didn't inter intervene to save Damien earlier in the episode yet. She grabbed the gun and, and she tried to kill the hunter. Um, uh, in that moment, it's, I, I don't know. Is that supposed to convey that she was rehabilitated or, or that she had her hero moment and that she's a decent person? Um, I don't know, but, having the reveal be that this whole thing is about punishment and about 
um, her, her incarceration, I guess incarceration or, um, what have you is just really, really remarkable storytelling. Um, uh, in my opinion. And when she is being explained, when, when we're getting all the information about what, what white bear justice park is, um, when she's, she's being told all of this information, um, first of all, you just, it, you feel as overwhelmed as she does. Um, and it's just, it's really incredible storytelling from my perspective and the actress playing Victoria, um, in this episode, uh, Lenora Critchlow, she plays that anguish and terror and just, um, mental break <laughs> so incredibly well. And it's, it's, I mean, she sells it like that. That is kind of the money shot of the episode. Um, is that she is just playing that so well, like you feel how broken she is and how terrified and just, just all the anguish and, and terror uh, just comes out and is so powerful and so, so great. And the fact that this is repeated over and over again, this is her, this is her hell. She's living every day is just so disturbing. And, um, and it's just the, one of the most, one of the most disturbing things about it really. And I like the, I like the, um, visual cue of the, the calendar because, uh, Baxter at the end checks off October 18th. Um, I, I like that because I mean, that's 18 consecutive days plus however many months before that, like we don't know when it started, but, um, just seeing that that's, that's continuous every single day is just absolutely astonishing. And, one of the more twisted things about it is that over the credits, when we see the white bear justice park, um, we're seeing that there is a park specifically created just for her punishment. And it's just, it's just unreal. It is so eerie and disturbing and, and really twisted. And I love that, um, as the credits are rolling, we're showing, we're showed the perspective of the viewers, spectators, um, throughout this experience. And it's not really clear to me whether or not this is just replaying the, the one that we experienced, or this is like the new one, um, or like the next example of, um, people, you know, the, the next day essentially, but just the repetition of it is just remarkable. And I, I, I love this episode. Um, I really gained a, a much better appreciation of it this time around, um, when watching it for this, for this podcast, because it is, it is just so jarring. I don't, I don't know if it would, I don't know. I, I know that it's not going to rank above 15 million merits or, um, the entire history of you, but it is, it is definitely up there. Like this is a very, very strong episode and like the first series of black mirror, you kind of get the sense that it's not like you're introduced to the show with the pig episode and then two like incredible, incredible episodes, 15 million merits and the entire history of you. And then series two has be right back, which is, which is, as I said in my last bonus episode is, is a really great, really strong episode about AI and grief and, and 
um, loss, and it's it's really remarkable. But I feel like when watching it the first time, when watching this series for the first time about a year and a half ago, or closing on two years ago, um, what I really my memory of it is that I felt like series two was not quite as good as series one. It, it's because I don't think, and I don't remember if I said this before, but I don't think any of the episodes after any of the episodes in series two or the Christmas special, I don't think they had the impact on me as the entire history of you and uh, 15 million merits. And I think that kind of still stands now, but be right back and white bear are both incredible episodes. And I'm really, I'm, I really, I really dug it. Um, or I'm really digging it. And, uh, going forward, I'm going to have two more bonus episodes of this bonus episode series of anthology. I'm going to be reviewing the Waldo moment and the Christmas special. And then I'll finally get, uh, the chance to actually watch the new season on Netflix. It's been out for, I don't know, about a week or so. Yeah. About a week. And I still haven't watched it yet, and I am really itching to do that. So uh, once I finish with those, I'll do that, and then I'll have bonus reviews for each one going forward. And um, I'll also be, of course, doing my main reviews of uh, The Twilight Zone. This week, or this next episode I'll have is episode 25 of um, Anthology, reviewing um, The Twilight Zone Season 1, Episode 30. Uh, a stop at Willoughby and my bonus review for that episode will be patterns. Uh, the, uh, the, I think 1955, um, episode of craft theater, uh, that was written by Rod Serling and was a breakout hit for him. And, uh, yeah, I'll have that up shortly. And then I'm really excited for my next bonus review. Um, because it's reviewing the Waldo moment, which, um, I'm hoping to get that posted by, like, I'm hoping to post that on election day on November 8th, I think, because that's kind of an appropriate episode for, um, for this current election cycle. Cause Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, so having said all that, thank you for listening and I'll catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out the Obsessive Viewer. 
a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious... Check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.